we are under construction. As we live life, we are all under construction. This is a, a message, one message by three people. So it's just one message, especially for today, for the fathers and those who would be fathers very soon. It's also a message for, the, for all of us because we are all under construction, divine construction, spiritual construction. That is why we are here. That's why we gather here today. The first idea that I want to bring to the church today is foundation. I happened to be to work for a construction company for two years, and I learned a lot from them. I learned that you need to know where you want to build. You need to have a plan before you build under the municipality land. Well, in your farm out there, well, you don't need a plan. You don't need anybody to check on your plan. But under municipality, you need to have a plan. Trevor read from us, for us from Matthew 7. I also want us to dive into Matthew 7 just as a foundation for our message today. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, just the two verses. Let us read together. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. Some of the key words in this passage are that we need to hear the words of Christ, what Christ is saying. As Christian and people of the word, heritagely as Baptists, we are known as people of the word. We need to feed on this foundation, which is the word of God. We hear in Genesis verses 1 how God created. He spoke and everything came into existence. As he was creating, he would say it is good. And on finishing his creation, he said it is very good. He had some measures in place, measuring what he was doing. As we are under construction as well, the foundation is very important for us. 
The foundation will be tested as we go through this divine construction. We will be, cha- we will be challenged as the, as, as the foundation itself. As I said, I happened to work for a construction company. They would go to a, this place where we need to build there would be some excavation work that is done to certain levels. And once we reach a level, we would dig the trenches for the foundation. We would dig the, 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 the trenches to such an extent that we reach the firm ground on which to build. After digging those foundations, we would ask the... the, the the municipality guys to come and check if the foundations are right. They would take a, a metal a metal eats and try to, to see if the ground is right. And the ground would say, gong, gong, gong. meaning that it's firm and ready. We can, it can be built on. And it doesn't end there. After pouring the foundation, the concrete, that guy needs to come as well and say, okay, your measurements are right, but you can only build after a period of time. And as we were looking after the foundation, the foundation, you don't, we don't make a foundation today and build on it today. You need to have a time frame, a, a period of time to wait for the foundation to be solid, to be one piece. So that when you build on it, it doesn't crack. One of the things we used to do was to water the foundation. Water the foundation. As God was creating, the Bible says the Holy Spirit was hovering or moving above the surface of the water. And the Gospel of John says, God in flesh came and dwelt amongst us as a foundation of our faith, of our salvation. On Tuesday, I watched the news and saw the tragedy, tragedy that happened in London, in Greenfield Tower. It's a 24-story tower, housing over 120 compartments. It was bent. But one thing that amazed me when I saw that picture, the structure is there it is still standing. Then I said to myself, what is is it that is holding this structure after it has been severely bent the way it is? Then I remembered the firm foundation that is holding the structure. As I've said 
God said in Genesis chapter 1, verses 31, he found that after creating everything, he said, it was very good. As we go through construction in our divine life, we'll have people around us. As much as the message today is leans towards men, but it's the, it is the message for all, for all of us. As we go through construction as men, we've got our wives, our mothers, our children to back us up so that we stand out as a team. Even in the construction industry, we've got various teams that take on various uh, building activities. And uh, we need to round ourselves to have people around us who will speak to our lives, people who will speak into our systems. I've never seen pigs flocking with pigeons. I always see pigeons flocking with, sheep, with, pig, with, with pigeons and pigs flocking with pigs. As we journey through this construction life, divine construction of God, we need to around ourselves with better people. In closing off, to men uh, who are here today, just want to say it takes a man's heart, the mind and the will to listen to the voice of God. It requires, it requires our whole being. In closing off, because I said it's a three-man message, if you look around here, we see the ceiling and we see the walls around us, but there's one thing we don't see, the foundation. The foundation is holding up all this structure. So under construction, the foundation is just the base. It is very important, but it cannot be a building on its own. And my counterpart, Joel Prince, will take us through from here. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you here this morning. We have this wonderful foundation in Christ, don't we? That this finished work of Jesus Christ is done and dusted. There's nothing that we can add to this foundation. There's nothing that we can do to make it bigger or take it away. That we have received this wonderful salvation by just simply believing in Christ Jesus. Because his work is enough. And we have that wonderful foundation solid under our feet. But the whole gospel is not that we would just come to salvation, a massive part of it, sure, but there is this need for us to live out that salvation. The gospel calls us to come and live for Christ 
um, to glorify him, to become more and more like him. And we see this particularly um, in Philippians 2, uh, verses 12. It says this right at the end. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out how you can live out your salvation in, in your life, in your work, um, in your families, in your rest, in your play that we need to learn how can we work out our salvation and how does it affect the rest of our lives. And we have this responsibility to do it ourselves. There's a part that we are called to come and grow, to pursue more of Christ. There is this part that we need to play and a massive responsibility it is. So how do we take on this responsibility? Well, the first thing is that we need to do is we need to see this as our number one aim, our number one goal. All right, Philippians 3, Paul will talk about how we need to pursue it. We need to strive towards it. We need to set a goal in front of us. And like a runner that's trying to run to win the race, so we need to make sure that this becomes our number one thing. How can I live out my salvation in work that it might be able to glorify Christ? How can I pursue it more there? How can I pursue more of Christ in my rest and in my play? How can I do that? We need to make it our number one goal. Because if we don't, it just seems to fall by the wayside. The second thing we need to do as well is that we need to understand who the chief architect is. Now, on a building site, there are plenty of different voices, plenty of different opinions on how things should be done, who has the best idea on it, where this wall should be built and what it looks like. But at the end of the day, when we come down to it, we need to make sure that we approach the chief architect because he's drawn up the plans, He knows what the end goal is meant to look like. And if we come up with our own decisions, we ultimately are going to come to a place where we've built the wrong wall. The room isn't the right size. The roof's not going to fit. Why? Because we've gone on our plans. Now, and the same is with the world, particularly us gents. We're going to be told on how um, to live our lives, how we need to conduct ourselves when it comes to leading our families, raising our kids, how to conduct ourselves in business. There are plenty of opinions on what's right and what's wrong. And if we had to take the best that the world has to offer, we had to grab each and every single one, I like this, I like that, and we had to put it together, we're going to come up with a, a, a structure that is useless, that is fickle, that will break. But we need to go to our chief architect. We need to go to God and say, Lord, how do I conduct myself How do I conduct myself in this particular area, in this season of life? How do I live that out? We need to run to the chief architect. The other thing that we need to be doing as well is constantly be checking the blueprint. What is uh, the the blueprint, the the plan that God has for us? Running to that going, man, am am I in place? Am I checking this out? And as Amzamo read earlier in Matthew 7, where Jesus talks about those who obey his words are, are like people who build the house on a solid rock. So when the trials and the, and the difficulties come our way, we are able to stand firm when we obey God's word, when we spend some time reading his blueprint for our lives and how we should live, how we should conduct ourselves in those different areas and aspects of our life. This is where we need to run to to make sure we're there. The other thing that we need to do, and I excuse the cheesiness of it all, but we need to have the spirit level in our life. We need to have the Holy Spirit in our lives constantly checking whether or not we are right or not. So as we, as we build, we need to constantly be checking. Now You can't just do a wall and as you lay the first couple of bricks, go, man, that looks level, and then just build. 
constantly need to be taking the spirit level, checking it out. And the way, one of the ways I do this, and it might be useful for you, it's a bit scary and daunting at times, is that I, I pray and ask, Lord, today, where have I sinned? Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me the areas that I have messed up today? And you'll be amazed at how good your memory is, that the Holy Spirit just reminds me, Joe, you did that, man. You, you, you showed that lady that she didn't put her indicators on when she ran around that turning circle. You know, you got frustrated and annoyed. You were bitter there. You've got some unforgiveness here. Joe, you've got some pride there. That was you. And the Holy Spirit reminds, and as we do that, we're able to see, man, that's not straight. I've got some stuff to deal with. This needs to be redone. This needs to be fixed. And so we've got to constantly check is the spirit, with the, with the spirit, are we straight? Are we in line? Are we moving forward? And as we do that, I, and as we speak about this, I can imagine maybe in my response and maybe yours as well, is that, Joe, man, that sounds like a lot to do. That's quite a bit, right? And when we have that response, it's because of either one or two categories. One is that we are overly busy, super, super busy. And we've got so much to do, we just don't have time to check with the chief architect, to look at the blueprint, to see if, with the Holy Spirit whether or not we're in line or not. And God understands that. He, he made us to enjoy work. He's made us to work. And so he gets that. But in Psalm 46, um, Psalm 46, verse 10, he still commands us. He says, be still and know that I am God. There's this need in the chaos and in the busyness of work and sometimes even busyness of ministry, there's this need for us to stop and seek God, to spend time doing that. But we also fall in the other end of the category. And sometimes it's just being too lazy. Psalm, uh, sorry, Proverbs um, 22 verse 13 talks about how a man does not go out to work and he comes up with the excuse, oh, there's a lion outside and so it's gonna kill me. And so he comes up, oh, there's danger Oh man, I'm just going to sit here on the couch and watch some telly, all right? And re- okay, and um, and so we need to we come up with excuses ourselves. Oh man, I'll do it later. This is me. This is my best one. Is so I know I need to spend some time with God today, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm just going to do it later. I'm just going to watch just a bit of uh, sport now, and when the game's done, I promise I will go do it later. And then the game's done, but something else pops up. It's amazing how that happens. And then I've got to just do this quickly. And uh, But don't worry, I've still got some time. I'll do it later. And as the time goes, so we push it on. And eventually I find myself, actually, I really don't have any time left. And I never get to it. And we find that we become lazy and that we prioritize other things that are more important to us ahead of that. And we never get around to it. And so we either fall in one or two categories and we need to find a good balance of that. Man, being busy is good, but we need to make sure we spend some time with God. Having some rest is good, but we need to make sure we spend some time with God. And so we've got these, this list. And if you've been in church for any period of time, you've got this list of priorities that need to happen uh, first. And obviously, number one, would first in our life needs to come God. Second needs to come a family, third work, etc., etc. And as the list goes down, so the list of importance happens. And the way I see this is that number one, God, He is the life giving waters like a waterfall. And when we have Him on top of our list of priorities, this waterfall runs down and soaks with life giving water into our families, into our workplace. And there's, uh, there's fruit that grows, there's things that happen in that. 
because the life-giving waters at top are running all over it. But when we put God at number three or number four and further, further down the list, the things above it become hard, become difficult, become fruitless. And really those are areas and structures in our lives that need to um, be broken down and restarted again because the life-giving water hasn't run over it. But even if I speak this, I know this is difficult and this is hard. As individuals, to do this by ourselves, this call to pursue more, to do more is, can be a bit daunting. To do it by ourselves is tough. So I'm going to hand over to, to Matt as he's going to tackle the next section for you. Thanks, Joe. While we were planning this, we were like, you know what? I'm going to preach this thing together. We'll each do seven minutes. That means 21 minutes will be done. If you don't know, there's a little clock down here. And so I currently have minus one minute left. <laughs> Zamo shared about this foundation, Jesus Christ, that if that we're living under construction, our lives are not finished yet, God started something and he's not done, that God is going to build into your life. And the starting point of that, if you recognize that your life is going to be under, under construction as men, the starting point is to bow your knee before Jesus and say, Jesus, would you come and be the master of this life? Would you be the one, I know you're the chief architect, you're the one who drew up the plans. I'm handing my life over to you. Forgive me of my sin. The Bible calls that being born again. That's the foundation that Amzama starts with. Joe goes on and he explains a bit about the role that we play in that. That this is not just a, like, life is not about me lying back and going, right, God, whatever, you do it. Because I promise you, one day when you stand before God and, and he goes, and now, and you go, well, God, I said you do it, and you did it. And God's going, no, no, I would do it, but I was busy with you. So you were supposed to respond. The conversation is, is, is to speak and respond. That's what a conversation is. And God's going, I was wanting to do stuff in you, and so there was a response necessary from your side. But that's where we can get tied up, as Joe said. We can just get overwhelmed with everything that has to change in our lives. And I think that as men, sometimes we're in that place. That, uh, that as men, the message that we've been given uh, is that if you're a man in this world, a uh, traditional type of man, you know, you, perhaps you're married or you want to get married or you've got children or you want to have children or one day you look like that's where it's going to be, you work hard, you provide for your family. If that's you, you're kind of the most least needed species on the planet. That's the message that men are getting, that you're not really wanted, you're not really worth anything, you have all the problems and you've got to fix all those problems and so we lump all of these things in and we try and fix ourselves, but the reality is that's what God said he would do. So he says, you need to come and trust me. And this is that, that last part of the severe is we have a great helper. We don't have to build this thing on our own. We have a great helper and we need to lean into the sovereignty of God. And it means this is in any construction site, if you've had any building at your house, any uh, building project that you've been a part of, any construction site, there are always setbacks and challenges. You know, they say that building always takes three times as long and is twice as expensive as what you thought it would be in the beginning. When Anthea and I bought our home, we uh, decided to convert the outbuildings into a flatlet that could help us, not help us, basically. That would pay the bond. We had, no, we had nothing, and that would really be helpful. And so one of the guys in our church, um, he said he, he'd help us. I, I guess looked across at these young youth pastors and was like, if somebody doesn't help them, you know, it's going to be a real mess. And so it was very simple. I mean, it was, it was really easy. It was 
brick, a, brick up a couple of doors, knock through a couple of windows, put a ceiling in, flatten out the floor, brick up the garage, single garage door, put a front door in there. Done. Isn't that easy? Yeah, that's pretty simple. Unless you're a builder, in which case you're going, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But anyway, that's why he came to help. And so he comes in to help, and one day I get a phone call. He goes, Matt. I go, yeah, you've got a problem here. So I go, yeah, well, what's, I mean, any problem you can fix with a little bit of brick and cement. Well, what's the problem? He said, today we took your old garage door out. And it was one of those very old wooden doors. You know, kind of, it hung on the sides, and then you open it up like that, and the doors are never level. They're always skew. It was one of those, rotted away at the bottom. And it had these wooden uprights it was onto. And, and he said, so Matt, um, when we took the garage door out, as we took the frame out, the lintel collapsed. Oh, okay. No problem. We get another lintel. He goes, no, no. The lintel pulled down the whole gable. So I'm going, okay. That's what I did. Yo. And uh, so I said, okay. So the gable's down. The, and, and, and so we build another one. He goes, but the gable pulled the roof down. So now, I just didn't want to have a garage door. I now didn't have a garage door or a lintel or a gable or a roof. You can see it just suddenly went like three times more expensive than what I really thought. In my mind, I'm going, whose fault was this? But when he phoned me, he had already figured out what's going to happen. And Matt, it's all right. All the beams are broken. I've got a couple of extra beams that I've got off another construction site. I'm going to bring them in here. We're going to put a new, new beams in for you. Um, you probably will have to buy a couple of purlin and some new roof sheets because these old roof sheets are rusted anyway. That's why the whole thing collapsed. The wood was all rotten. You know what? It probably was a good thing that that happened. In any construction site, there are always setbacks. In any construction site, there's always challenges. But in, in, in a similar way, God is like this master architect and builder who knows what's going to happen. And when things go wrong, it takes us time to figure it out. But he knew it was going to happen. And he also knew what he was going to do to fix it. And so you look at your life and you think, man, what a mess. There's so much that has to happen. I can't believe this thing just happened in my life. I can't believe I just got fired. I can't believe I just got retrenched. I can't believe that I've just had a, a, a disciplinary hearing and it didn't go my way. I can't believe this. Well, Master Builder, he looks and he goes, it's all right. I already know what I'm going to do to fix this. Philippians 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Jesus Christ. You're building on that foundation of Christ. You will have setbacks. Sometimes the lintel is going to come falling in. But God knows. And so I can rest in that. And resting into what God knows means resting into the sovereignty of God. He's in control, friends. He's in control anyway. It means that I can face my fears and face my failures. I can face my regrets. Man, I don't know about you, but I look back and go, man, I wish I never did that. I wish I didn't say that then. I wish I didn't do that then. And I remember when I was younger, looking forward at all of life and going, I don't want to live a life of regret. I don't want to have any regrets one day. Well, I know this. I'm not at the end of my life, but I've racked up a few. What about you? I don't think it's only the men. I think most of us in this building have racked up one or two lists of regrets. Resting in the sovereignty of God is resting in God knowing that as long as I'm building on the foundation of Jesus, 
and I'm responding to what he's saying and I'm following his God, then what Romans says in chapter 8 and verse 28 onwards, that all things will work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Friends, we're under construction here. I can face this and know that he sees the finished product even if I can't. That he knows what it's going to look like. I don't. I sometimes, I'll look at my life and go, God, really? Is there anything that you can do here? Remember there was a time when they looked at Jesus and they asked this question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But God knew the finished product. God knows that if I would just trust him, if I would just rest in him, that it'll be okay. But when I take it back and I try to do it, then things get a little bit skewed. The Bible says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays up in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives his beloved sleep. It means I rest in him. Construction is intentional. You need to know what you're doing. You don't just throw out a whole lot of bricks and eventually a house appears. You need to know where you're putting those bricks. It's, it's intentional. It's carefully considered because there is a cost that comes with that. As men, we understand that. That's what we do. But I would say this to all of us this morning, is that our lives are under construction and God is not done with you yet. That doesn't give you a get out of jail free card where you're like, oh well, I can carry on being this broken down ramshackled house that needs to be renovated sometime. No, no. You have the responsibility to respond. You respond. When God goes, we're going to brick up that build, that, that, that window over there, you shouldn't be looking out of that window. You go, all right, God, let's go for it. And you know what? It's painful to knock out that window. And it's difficult to brick it up. But when it's bricked up and the wall's been painted and there's a new picture hanging on the wall, it looks beautiful. God goes, we're going to put a window out of that side because I want you to have that view, not that view. It looks beautiful once it's done. It gets a bit messy in between. But it's beautiful when it's done. And so I respond to him. One of the greatest examples, I think, in the scriptures of a man like this was the giant killing. Teenager becomes a king. Harp playing, slayer of ten thousands, ancestor of Jesus, writer of Psalms, adultering murderer, <laughs> King David. Came a day in his life. I mean, this guy had murdered so many people that when he wanted to build the temple, God said, no, you've got too much blood on your hand. He had so many people he'd kill. Too much blood on your hands. Instead, your son will do it. God looks into the future and he knows his son will become the wisest man who ever lived. He would write the book of Proverbs. He knows, he looks ahead and he goes, man, from you, one of your descendants will be my son Jesus who will come and save the world. And he knew that on the 18th of June, 2017, some pastor in a little church in East London would be reading from your journal that you wrote after he got caught in adultery with Bathsheba and after murdering her husband when the prophet Nathan came to him and said, you, 
This is what you've done. He could have just killed Nathan right there. No one would have known. But this is how he responds. I encourage you to bow your heads and we're going to close out with this. Perhaps as you just go, God, what is it that you're saying to me? Maybe, maybe today there was a, maybe the Lord convicting you about an area in your life that needs to be broken down, about new windows that need to be opened up, about the wrong foundation perhaps you're building on and you need to build on Jesus. This is David's prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my sin. Maybe as I read this, you're just agreeing with this prayer and just going, yes, God, that's me. Wash away all my sin and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach sinners your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God. The God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Father, we know we are under construction, that you are not done yet. Father, for some, as I've read out that psalm, they've responded before you and said, yes, God, that's me. God, forgive me of my sin. For some, they've said, Father, don't take your spirit from me. For some, they've said, God, would you open my mouth that I might praise you more. For some, that's just been a, a reset on the foundation. They've, in that moment, God, walls have been broken down that have been built on just sand. And new walls are being built up on the rock, Jesus Christ. God, would you help us to remember that you said you're not done with us yet. We're under construction until that day we stand before you and you look to us and you go, well done, good and faithful servant. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name for those who responded this morning that you would speak, that you would lead them. Lord, especially the men, those who are fathers, those who are not, those who are husbands, those who are not.
those who are in this building are still boys. God, would you help us to be the men after your own heart? Men who respond like David. When you speak, we respond. Would you help us to be great husbands? Would you help us to be great fathers? So that when our children, wives, family, and friends look to us, they would see men who walk with Jesus. Father, we ask you that for your glory, yours alone. And those who agreed, would you say amen? Amen. Friends, as you leave, we want to invite you to join us for some coffee afterwards. And to help you remember this under construction, guys, we've got a key ring for you. It's at the coffee in a bowl there, a couple of them. Pick up a key ring and take it with you. Put it on your keys to remind you that you are under construction and God is not done yet. God bless everybody.